Dennis. Kev. We put the call out last week on the penultimate season finale last week. Mm-hmm. And people have responded with an unprecedented level of neutrality in our podcast. <laughs> Almost uh, aggressive indifference. Aggressive indifference, intense apathy. We heard you guys. <laughs> we may do a second season. We get it that you're not opposed to a second season of the podcast. So we'll think about it. I mean, obviously, it's exciting for us to see that because we thought we would probably mostly make people mad with the podcast. <laughs> yes. Or just give up about halfway through. Well, I always felt it was a potential. Sure. But, you know, I mean, have we ever gave up on anything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, only 99 times out of 10. And 99 times out of 10, you and I gave up. The world's kind of coming back a little bit, right? We're, we're, I mean, we're, I mean, we could almost think, we could almost see ourselves towards the end of 2021 doing one of our famous business trips. Oh, that's so funny you say that too, because that was exactly what I was thinking about, like how just different it is now from the scenario when we recorded the first one of these. Yeah. And actually, even the precursor than this one, which was almost, shoot. I mean, getting close-ish to about a year ago when we attempted the just JTS August. podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, August. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, what I was – and also, like, the part of the world that's, like, come back to, you know, I'm a lot of our famous international successful businessmen trips were to uh, Asia, like China. I mean, pretty much pretty much China. <laughs> but uh, – uh, and that part of the world is, seems to be coming back even even faster. I think that they had some like great drone technology that was yelling at people to keep masks on. Some some real innovations there. <laughs> but you know, I'm on like uh, calls and yeah, yeah. So like, I'm on calls with uh, you know Europe and uh, different areas. Uh, and yeah, they're they're I think mostly working from from home largely. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in Asia. Um, they, they're coming back and, and have been in the offices for, for quite a while. It seemed to have things under control from that respect. So, Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to getting the second shot. Now, I was able to get the first one when Texas opened Don't brag it up about all that, the people. I mean, there's got to be people that are just like, I've been trying. It's, yeah, so let's let's not get into that. But, oh, that didn't mean that as a, bra- a braggart no, thing. No, I get it. excited. You have excited. antibodies. That's great. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I was, uh, I was thinking today that maybe you should tell, and most of the stories revolve around us eating, but what, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to, why don't you share one of the stories that isn't me un or <laughs> accidentally eating uh pig, pork trotters <laughs> that, that one I think we'll, we'll, we'll save to. that one. We'll okay. save that one. But uh, what about one of our other famous, I was, I'll start, uh, maybe we'll both share one. I'll start. Cause I remember, and, and usually what happens is, you know, we, we go over the, we travel over the weekend. It's a long weekend of travel. It takes about 24 hours to, to make it to wherever we're going. And we get an acclimation day, right? Like usually it's like mm-hmm. Monday or something like that. We we take a day so that we can, because you're completely flipping schedules. So we just kind of, we try to, whatever we get there, we go to sleep. Then we force ourselves to get up at like nine or 10, eat a little breakfast. And then like you and I, and maybe whoever else is around, like we explore. Yeah. And I was remembering uh, on this last trip, last, uh, actually the January of 2020, 
we were in the Janan area and we were, you know, pretty active. We climbed up the Thousand Buddha Mountain and then we went and we saw these nice springs. But before long, it had kind of time had gotten away from us and we were looking for a place to eat. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. And so you and I were, were walking down, you know, mm-hmm. right by the springs, a major kind of, I don't know, if not Broadway area type of thing. And we see a bunch of, I mean, like our indicator is like, okay, well, let's, let's look at where local people are eating, I think was our idea, right? Something that, yes. you know, seemed accessible and local people were in it. And we found a place that met that criteria, uh, I think. Do you remember any uh, any other reason that we picked that place? I thought it was just just because like it was close. Because I remember we exited. Was, yeah, the springs. you you were. I would th- I would call hangry. I, I would say <laughs> yes. As and I, I was my casual go. self. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like working off my reserves. You know, I've got a bit of reserve. <laughs> you, know, you could work on that. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, we sit down and. At first, I don't even think we get menus, but what we finally asked for menus, and they actually, you had the forethought. And by the way, uh, in this particular scenario, I mean, and this w- kept in line with its seeming authenticity, there was very little English of, uh, available from the staff there, which is awesome. that's great, right? Like it'll it'll push us, and and we'll you know, do our best to acclimate work, but we, we communicated, you know, okay, do you have any, obviously, you know, uh, do you have any, uh, menus? And they did, right. They like dug back in a corner and it seemed seemingly never been used before English menus, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And they broke those out (laughs) and they put it in front of us. And maybe you could try to describe the cuisine of this (laughs) restaurant. I, okay, I just remember we basically had stumbled into the equivalent of what appeared to be some kind of the uh, Chinese version of a Denny's with a mashup. It was something like we could get steaks with like spaghetti on the side or something. Yeah, like yeah, it was very... it was a interpretation of a Western. I think it was a mix, really, of you know. Australian slash American interpretations, right? Mm-hmm. So there'd be like sirloin steak with classic pasta and the spaghetti would be on top of the steak or, <laughs> or like eggs. And stuff. And we just, we just like sat there and like, okay, like this is a very interesting um, and slash, you know, and you know, we, we, we champed it out. Right. I mean, I what, did I get the sp- steak with spaghetti thing? I think that you might have gotten the steak with p- spaghetti, and I got some sort <laughs> of dish that came with like <laughs> oh, we don't baby Dennis. Oh, steak with spaghetti. <laughs> uh, and I think I got something that like uh, some kind of food that doesn't typically, but in this occasion, came with like a fried egg on top of it. Uh, for no oh yeah, reason. your yeah. classic. I mean, what it, it wasn't like a burger with an egg on it. No, right? it, it was yeah, like. It was, Oh, I'll uh, like a, I'll have this casserole, and then it's like here's an egg on top, or whatever yes, it was. Yeah. Um. So that that was the one. I oh, and before I I left, I had to kind of you know use the the washroom. We'd been walking around, and I just had to, you know what. And we couldn't get that point across. So do you remember what you did? Yeah, I took a receipt and I drew a picture of a toilet to show. Yeah, you used your doodling. You have fantastic doodling skills, by the way. Like, you should try to recreate <laughs> that for that episode. But, like, yeah, you drew a toilet. And I, I was just trying to emphasize of, like, I don't need to do... 
<laughs> like you were over explaining. I was like, no, 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 dentist, dentist, draw somebody peeing, draw Calvin peeing, so he can explain this to people. <laughs> it's too, it's too much for interpretation. Yeah. Mm. So that was the one I wanted to share. Did you have a, a, a one that you would you'd like to share of the many? Yeah, yeah. The one that I like to share it was actually our trip to Poland. It was it's less about the experience of eating. However, that was fantastic when we went and got the pierogies and basically oh, dared okay. ourselves to see how many that we could eat. What was our? I, we did. We scientifically. I think it was thirty. Determined was, that yes. Well, we had ordered thirty, and I think, yeah, I think I ate. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think we was sixty to sixty. I think I ate eighteen, and you were like fourteen. <laughs> but yeah, what a what a fantastic week of meals there. But I remember that that pierogi. But, so that one was fantastic, and we enjoyed some uh, local beers as well, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I. I just like I'm following suit with this podcast, I Kev's got to take the reins, and and I'm happy to be you know just follow his lead. However, after 18 or so pierogies and a couple of beers, uh, I was following his lead and to take us back to the hotel, and we didn't realize that he had punched <laughs> that there were two two hotels uh, with the same name in it completely was a opposite local area. hotel, right yeah. and. In complete opposite areas of the town, and so I'm following, and we're having also you know, one of can, our many. Can I discourses. just point out? Yes, in, in no other two person team am I the de facto leader. Like <laughs> this does not happen, right? If I'm with other friends, whatever, I'm just along for the ride. You are the only person who has less leadership ability than me. <laughs> that you would you would fall into. Oh, I'm just going to do what Kev Kev thinks. You know, that's that's where we keep we keep uh, walking along. I'm just thinking like. This is not, I don't remember walking by any of this stuff. And then we arrive and I can see the hotel at the end of the block. And it's across from this gigantic mall with like all these LED lights out front. Like so very obvious that like we would recognize that if it was ours. And I'm like, this is not ours. And you're just like. Yeah, we were, we were staying in like the old uh, Jewish neighborhood, right? Or like, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was like historic. Yeah. Yes. And uh, anyway, we got there and yep, definitely confirmed it wasn't there. Uh, and we just committed to having like a, I guess we, we, we checked in, bar. right? Yeah. We got extra rooms. <laughs> no, it was, it was late at night and yeah, we sat, saddled up at the bar and had a good drink while you really hammered me hard for making yeah. the mistake. Yes. But the, you know, it was good. It was necessary. The long walk was necessary to work off those pierogies. Yeah, and then we Ubered from one hotel. Probably the Uber driver was very confused. We're, we get in and we're like, uh, we would like to go to this hotel. They're like, you're there. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? No, no, no. There's two. Okay. Yeah. So. so that was a good one. There was a couple other ones. I also liked our, we'll save it for a different time, but the Shanghai, yeah, be a regular the Shanghai lunch story I also liked a lot. This will be a regular segment. Tune in for season two where the it's all about international <laughs> lunches. Yep. There we go. Um, this is good. A new a new format emerges. Good, because this is the last secret and I don't know. <laughs> starting to get thin. <laughs> really gonna it's gonna be a fun season two. Um season two will come out after I've had time to think of at least three more. Uh, insights to share, but I've got one to di- for today. Let's hear Are you it. ready? I'm ready. Okay, I think the single, single, <laughs> the single. I think the single most important element of any security initiative, any cybersecurity initiative, is escape analysis. 
Ooh, okay. So you're a QA guy, right? You went to Hogwarts QA school, true? <laughs> yeah. John Stewart and you both went to Hogwarts College of Quality Assurance. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, AKA what? College of Women Mary, yeah. What is in the context? It's usually when you hear the term escape analysis. It's mm-hmm. usually applied to testing and, and uh, I guess also development processes, but you know, it's usually focused on a quality aspect, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to, uh, I mean, I can read the definition, <laughs> but do you, do you want to give your, your definition? I love, this is my favorite part. I don't tell you what's going on. Oh and gosh. I ask I you questions. I put you on the spot. And I look like a dumb, dumb, like last week when I was saying that accept and accept weren't homonyms and yeah. So, but yes, I will, t- okay. I will, I will fall okay. for the trap again and I'll take uh-huh. the bait. Uh, escape analysis is a look at which defects make it into production, right? So you've mm-hmm. got like your gates along the way that are hopefully stopping and you're doing your testing and stopping any failures in your development and staging and pre-prod, whatever you have. And then uh, then your product is released. And, mm-hmm. and then what you like, anything that is reported in production should be treated as an escape of your process. Like uh, saying that, okay, you know, how did this type of defect or this instance of a given defect escape the many checks that we have uh for during our sdlc excellent i couldn't have done it better reading the google definition myself so in the context of security what are our escapes from the processes right i'm not just talking about software development i think it's it's obvious maybe it's maybe more obvious there but in terms of general, you know, systems implementation, information technology, and cybersecurity in general, what what are the escapes? Well, I'd say anything that is reported to the operations team um, mm-hmm. or reported mm-hmm. by a customer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I guess in the, the security aspect. Things reported via a bug bounty process could be would be uh, examples of escape. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's what I'd say right now. Anything obvious that I'm missing? I feel like I'm not hitting what you're expecting. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that's right. I think that you know, zooming in on you know cybersecurity, right? Escapes are these vulnerabilities, and depending on when you found them. I think that, um, you know, there's different levels and different strategies. And as you mature, you may, oh my gosh, shift escape analysis left, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Meaning, like, what do we think about penetration testing? Like, if if you're doing a penetration test and simulating, you know, simulating something, simulating how an attacker you know, uh, with a certain amount of resources might break your app and you're finding those defects in those applications. I mean, if you've got a whole system that you're working on, I, I think the escape analysis is still valuable, even if that is quote unquote, a pre-production penetration test. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, the point of this is, is continual improvement based on your findings and not just, defect remediation, right? Not just logging, tracking, closing bugs, but looking at that bug and saying, how can we evolve our process 
to prevent that bug from re- that bug or similar bugs from reoccurring. Yeah, and I think that exactly to your point, not just sort of patching the instance of that one problem, <clears throat> but taking it the step further and saying, like, almost, how could we design that problem out of our products, right? In some exactly, cases. right? S- secure, maybe a framework, maybe mm-hmm. an architectural building block that's reusable, maybe a language pivot or, you know, some type of, um, you know, moving to, yeah, I mean, all of those types of systematic solutions to systemic problems really should be considered and, you know, much more effectively. Like if you go into, uh, also for those of you who are stepping into a situation in which there are this, this pile of security debt and bugs, it's much faster to crawl your way out by doing this, right? By tackling tens of thousands of bugs at the same time, right? You look at a Nessus reporting or tenable reporting solution and you see um, you know, 60,000 vulnerabilities across an enterprise, you shouldn't be thinking about, well, how am I going to get 60,000 things fixed, right? Mm-hmm. You should be finding the problem with patching or the problem with the hardening or the installation process or the selection and deployment and orchestration of software and fix those things, yeah. right? Fix it as a system. And then you'll, you'll get a list of probably 30 things, right? 30 tasks that if if are implemented you know, will it might be a big project? It might require some some you know new new tooling or something like that. But looking and, and in fact, it's much more approachable and, and much easier to to like if you model that plan, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get this new um, thing, and we're gonna be able to close the patch clusters. And here's the impact that's gonna have on the heap of data. That's really I think gonna be pretty powerful. Um, if if you're you know, I never think volumetrically about about that stuff, but I do think about. Yeah, looking at it as a series of actions that's going to avoid these types of issues from recurring, right? And you, and you keep doing that, and you'll get to the bottom of the hardest ones to find, so you can finally focus on those. And 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 those there there might be some that are very difficult that you know end up. I think the hardest ones are the ones that kind of depend on training almost, right? Mm. Because it's very hard to have a guarantee that training is going to click, that the training is going to be good cover all of the circumstances right so that that's maybe in, in certain cases the if your escape analysis ends with education not that it's a bad thing but it uh it those are still hard problems to work on i, I guess that's that's probably a, a canary of that yeah and i would say yeah if you are ending up with training then the implementation of training and, and making that occur as close to the introduction of that problem or deviation, right? Uh, like mm-hmm. the thing that they're doing wrong. That's, that's what's ultimately, I think going to make it stick to your point, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just give me a one-time training, uh, go back and listen to our don't shift left. We, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I mean, I think we, we, we really hammer the timing yes. of, of, so, of these types of things. Yep. Um, but I'm not done yet. Like it's a secret because I don't see it. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is something that I, I'm just floored. Right. We invest so much in these different capabilities to find problems. And we always treat these problems as instances, little things that have to get fixed. Right. We don't, I mean, I mean, let's just look at, 
antivirus, right? Every enterprise in a, in the world is running antivirus on their you know desktop infrastructure, and every day it's containing malware, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every one of those malware infections was in fact an instance that could have led to a breach, right? Mm-hmm. We're not systematically and and it's like yeah and then you might get to okay well we spend a lot of time on education right but in those situations you know those for enterprises that haven't taken a, a kind of um, attack surface right and compartmentalize user access in in a way so that it insulates and and you know there's there's some hard problems to solve there with like you know you have humans interacting with an environment um, you know, various levels of maturity and application access control. So it's, it's tough, right? But um, there's also no reason that, uh, you know, necessarily that some of the users should, should have, you know, a level of privilege mm-hmm. that they do, like enforcing least privilege. We've talked about many times, not something we're particularly good at. Um, and, and, but just in general too, I mean, like penetration tests are so often used as, you know, a lot of them are compliance driven and you get a list of findings and there's a service level agreement to fix those things. Right. Yes. And we fix those things and we move forward. You got to, okay. to me, that's not, it's not a good process. Right. Cause though, you know, penetration testing, you know, as, as, much as uh, there's amazing testers out there, right, both in consistency and creativity to, to find problems, um, generally a test is, is going to, you know, verge on a spectrum of, of how, much is, how much is this test coverage-based, right? How many different types of and how many different interfaces are going to focus on and what's the complexity? Of, you know, it's coverage-based in one sense, also coverage-based in terms of intensity. But that list of findings is not a census of all your defects, right? That list oh, of yeah. findings... You know, was generated by a time boxed exploratory investigation that was, you know, in the best cases, supported by you know both tools and and competent testers. And I think a lot of people are are really, especially in compliance motivation, right? They're not they're not realizing that return on investment there of saying, well, I did this. It pointed out that I have these types of problems. These types of problems are pretty scary. Is there a, you know, can I refactor, you know, to, to avoid that class of bugs? That'd be a much more uh, productive use of penetration testing than a compliance driven process in which, you know, I'm following the letter of the law. I'm submitting my applications for pen tests. They're getting tested by somebody who's, you know, at some level, hopefully that's been vetted that level of coverage for its risk, you know, risk intensity or coverage or whatever. And then ultimately they're going to give me back a list of things that I have to fix. Like we got to pivot that. If, if, if we're not, if we're just following those types of processes and it's the same thing with static analysis or whatever it is, we're just fixing those types of things. I think we got to, we got to move past that. Right. And, um, and I'll go so far as to say, it's like one of the first things you should put into place. Like I know that maturity, like low maturity programs, usually you see this if ever it comes in, you know, in very advanced programs, people have been working on something for decades, but it's actually probably one of the first things I would put in place. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that is overlooked a little bit in addition is also like how they measure 
right? Measure the success of the program. And I would consider mm-hmm. the um, treating defects as escapes part of that measurement process, right? Like, cause you're recurrence. measuring how- I mean, yeah. I, I think, yeah, especially on like a recurrence, we keep having the same CWE instead of CVE or something, right? Like, so there, we're, we're having consistent, let's, we got to tackle something architecturally. We got to tackle something, you know, in a, in a more cohesive way because, training or awareness is is seemingly not there right we can't depend on that in in those particular issues where recurrence tends to happen more often than not yeah but you know i think also to hark back to another secret that you had the diversity of tech stacks right and maybe the mm-hmm. application yep. security group to just to focus on appsec care with the makes this harder yep makes it harder right like you know For they sure. may not be experts in all the different and not be able to make the design level recommendations uh, to try to just take away classes of bugs and things like that. And, you know, yeah. pen test too, is just such an easy gate, right? Like people understand it. Like, okay, you're doing testing in a running system that's people, basically all implemented and you're just yeah. going to give me back things that were real, right? Where it's like, there's no, you, you did it. I mean, there's sort of a grain of salt, right? You know, it's in the report. So therefore you were able to do it. Um, mm. Whereas other things, you know, other types of checks might have, you know, you've got a triage. But there's a sure massive misunderstanding so oh, yeah, many yeah, yeah. people treat penetration testing as an assurance right this we're gonna presume that this test if scoped appropriately is going to find i use the word before census right census versus sample and that's just never going to be the case like i mean i i it, it's incredibly valuable yeah i i mean it's it's one of a, uh, it's one of a handful of, of key gates. There's certain types of defects that are certainly best found through penetration testing, but I cannot, I mean, count the number of times in which somebody, you know, essentially made the equivalency, you know, is this thing secure? Yes, we penetration tested it and fixed all the issues with it, right? Like I, I, that's a, a almost ubiquitous kind of thing, um, all over, right? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> a ubiquitous yes. kind of thing all over. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I said a smart word and undermined it with my nah, redundancy. That's okay. Um, but you know, it's also like that's what people keep asking for too. Like, okay, I need to prove that it's secure, no, and so that's give why us I'm, your pen test. You know what I that's mean? That's why I'm here. That's what, you know, that's why I'm saying this, right? Yeah. Like, it's important, but don't, don't misinterpret yeah, what, don't it what it it's is. It's giving you a sample of things that you should go and figure out how your development process or how your systems engineering process resulted in a system that was susceptible to those problems and do your best to systematically remediate those. Um, and here's, yeah. here's the way I phrase that. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're not going to get perfect. Um, but let's say you have a, a pretty good security program. Like let's say you spend a lot of time and you put in, you know, a big effort to, to nailing your, you know, your stakeholder objectives, nailing, um, you know, your best of breed, uh, tooling, um, getting the, a world-class education program, awareness program in place for whatever these areas are, um, spending a bundle on the critical tools necessary, right? If you don't put this in place, that program will get bad, right? It will devolve. A, a pretty good program 
that doesn't evolve is going to end up being unsuccessful. And conversely, and the reason I said, okay, set this up early is let's say you whiff on a couple of those things. You run some experiments and, oh, this tool doesn't work that well for us. The coverage is not great for this. You know, that's why we're seeing these types of issues at this testing gate, or that's why we saw this type of incident. If you have a commitment to escape analysis, even a somewhat flawed process will eventually, right, given enough pressure of discovered escapes, and that's something that you probably will mature along, you know, finding these new ways to, um, you know, shift uh, shift everywhere and, and, and get these defects caught, examples of these defects caught, then your program's going to end up pretty good. Even if you, you know, maybe you, maybe it didn't start out so great, right? So the evolutionary aspect of cybersecurity programs is a critical dimension that not, not that common, honestly. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, I think that even treating, you know, even if penetration testing is part of your SDLC, right? Consider it a gate in your SDLC. It, it can still be viewed as uh, escape analysis of those different activities that took place beforehand, mm-hmm. right? The design review, maybe the choice of platforms, right? And, and frameworks right. even to begin with. Um, and then whatever but- else you might be doing proactively. I mean, you're an AppSec guy. You're, you're, you, uh, you hammer home the AppSec and, and QA dimensions. I like that. It applies to the system side as, yeah. as well. Um, and the processes to, you know, the orchestration. Orchestration is a huge part of this, right? Orchestration is a key tool about some systemic remediation. Um, let me go and manage my uh, instances of operating systems as a single cohesive, you know, um, system, right? Um, so really, really critical there, um, to, to not necessarily limit this idea. Like I'm, I, I've, I've, I believe this to be the case and have seen this to be the case and on both sides of, of the problem, like vulnerability remediation management of a large network, you know, was, was a job that I had. And this was exactly the type of thinking necessary, right? Mm. Systematic remediation of these vulnerabilities. Why is the patch cluster not getting out to this class of system? Why are these things isolated in this way? Why do we always suffer with the, you know, the whatever, where is the, the, uh, branch location type of satellite offices, right? Um, oh, you know, our, the bandwidth, you know, in those satellite offices is so limited, like we're trying to patch the point of sale systems over what's essentially a credit card transaction link. And that's because the a massive delay, okay, let's pivot around, let's get a distributed node out there, um, you know, that we can replicate over the line once it can distribute, you know, there's those systematic solutions to, to a lot of these problems. And some of them, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of committing to, I mean, that some of the root causes are pretty simple. Um, it's just a matter of really committing to uh, the idea of this like continuous improvement. Yeah, yeah, and raising yeah your level of thinking when it comes time to fix stuff. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna send my. You send in we the switched. S- we switched to. Yeah, we switched to, to horseback. It's a horseback carriage service. It's hard to find these days. Esoteric. Um, ways for me to securely deliver my pre-rating. So just to remind people of the premise and more to the point to remind Dennis of the structure of the podcast, uh, I share a secret 
Mm-hmm. And I have secretly sent, in this case, through uh, old school postman on horseback. That's the second time on this podcast I've done my Western hum. I've sent him a sealed envelope, which was sponge sealed, Dennis. It was not licked because of the pandemic. I was licking them. Mm-hmm. And now I've gone to sponge with moist, and I wear rubber gloves when I do it. And also, you'll notice that I've also used uh, magazine cutouts, right? Like oh, it's yeah, a, like a it's ransom a crazy, letter. like a yeah. serial killer, <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted just to make sure that the safety is there. Um. So yeah. So now that you've got that open and you see that, um, you know, bodyguard style serial killer note, uh, what's my rating? Or no, wait a minute. First. No, first What's I your, get- And yes, you give a rating about how much I've convinced you of the premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that it kind of equates to at the end of the podcast, how much you believe in that, that secret. So sometimes I basically give you something you already believe is true and you just rate it high. And other times. And other times I, that we've seen. I, yeah. I read in your parade. Yes. Yeah. I don't even think I influence you whatsoever no. on any of these topics so far. Um. Uh, not true, but, uh, I, for this one, on, honestly, I'm giving mm-hmm. this a 10 out of 10. I, Ooh, 10 out of 10, a 10 out of 10. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I think it's great. I mean, the whole premise, you know, you have all these individual steps that you're looking at, but you're taking a systems engineering, like the entire thing is the process and your escape analysis is crucial to judging the success or failure of that and, and how to plot you know, m- measure what can be improved and, and make that actionable. I, mm-hmm. I think you did a great job uh, okay. justifying this. So. Oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm so glad we ended on, what did you give me? Oh, last week you gave me a two. Okay, well, yeah. real quick, let's, uh, let's cover the, uh, what did I say this was? Um, what did you say it was? Because the, the, the oh, Pony uh, Express hasn't arrived yet. Uh, it's in the window that is used for. Recording. Oh, I see. Okay, and you gave it a nine. I, I think I'm just scared at this point, based on last. I was a little gun shy. I should have said ten. Oh my gosh! You know, but you oh have been gosh. so so. I've been the Simon Cowell. Let's of this talk podcast. about last week. Okay, let's talk about last week because you gave me a two, mm-hmm. and I think I was a seven, <laughs> six or a seven. Okay. My feet. I was hurt. I think I use. You know, I. I was you have like, been. Oh, a, you've yeah. been a little distant this week. I can tell that. You know, but you, you well, re- as responsive, maybe for a day or two, and then what happened? What little message did I get from Denny Two Shoes uh, <laughs> midweek to cheer me up? Uh, what did you get from me midweek? Oh, okay, I'm gonna read it myself. Oh, 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 oh. When I, <laughs> when I, uh, I won't said read that our I, entire. When I said that I kept seeing the word accepted EX used all over the place, that when you. Pr- uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, you said, Dear Kevin, <laughs> I've been thinking a great deal about mm-hmm. my rating of our last podcast. You are right. I am now hearing accepted in quotations with EX everywhere. And I gravely apologize for the misdeed of giving you a two instead of a seven. Please accept my heartfelt apologies and this Amazon gift card for $1,400, which I thought was too generous. It uh, was a little excessive there, but you know what? 
I, I felt that's how bad I felt about it. So, you know, just that's awesome. And I am actually going to buy um with that $1400, I'm going to um buy you a gift. Wow. Um so that we are back on equal terms because I accept with an e your apology. <laughs> Wait, you accept with an e my apology? Uh yeah. Or an a. I take exception with it. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect, perfect, perfect podcast. Oh my gosh. All right. Not only was this a perfect podcast, but boy, was I thrilled to record our throwback episode. You could probably hear it in my voice on the throwback. Um, let me introduce it. So uh, Bill Nash, who's currently like a traffic engineer at Verizon Digital Media Services, he has had a long and interesting career and has, I mean, and a, just a, interesting and, and, uh, um, life and, and, a great enthusiasm, you know, I mean, I, one of the things that actually struck my eye so much about this is I'm like in awe of his, uh, some of his, uh, photography as well. So that like, just total side note, like I'm just blown away by some of the, uh, the pictures he's been, uh, capturing over the last years, but this is a guy I, I told that story on episode one or two, um, about ending up in Vegas as like a 16 year old mm-hmm. during DEF CON six. And yes, which I, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, which led to our, I think our very first comment on the podcast. By the oh, way. where my mom is like, Oh yeah. yeah. One of the, the, one <laughs> yes. of the two reviews is my mom saying, uh, yeah, Vegas is too hot in August. Uh, sorry, mom. My mom's also a huge fan. Number one fan. So I shouldn't do a Bob impression on there. And that's also not what she sounds like. Brilliant woman. <laughs> But uh, she, or uh, so, you know, I get there and it's a little intimidating. I buy my ticket. You can buy a ticket at the door, right? And it's also like totally laid back and pretty cool. And I just start kind of hovering around and I meet this guy and, you know, spend probably an afternoon kind of hanging out around his his group and talking to him. About, but it's just like, it clicked with me. I was, it was like one of those things I could not probably produce the the name, but then I kind of remembered some 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 threads back and I, I was just able to think about it for a second. And he just happened to be also on social media because it was a photography. So I reached out to him and um, you know got the uh, the podcast on the book. So thanks so much to Bill Nash for this week's throwback. Um, I think it's great. We talk about old school uh, DEF cons and, and a bunch of stuff, a great throwback. He was a BBS guy, so I love that. Um, and we just had a, a real uh, ball. Uh, and by the way, I'm pretty sure he yeah, he doesn't, and I wouldn't expect him to remember me, but, uh, I was just, the fact that even without remembering me, he was so willing to, uh, to hop on and kind of join the podcast. I just think was super awesome. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, throw it back to Bill and then come back for, uh, your thoughts, Dennis. Great. All right, Bill, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty this good. is, uh, an awkward one, uh, in, in the sense <laughs> that, uh, you and I probably spent two or three hours together almost not 30 years ago. It's not, no, it's like 25 years ago. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, it's close. <laughs> it's, it's, and and it's probably even, 
if you had asked me five times out of six, I would have had a hard time even producing a name. But I think later on, um, I kind of remembered. So let let me let me set frame this up for the audience. So I told the story very briefly uh, on one of the previous podcasts of, you know. I'm 16 years old and my mom and dad, you know, want to take five kids on a, on a summer vacation and they start, you know, checking out, you know, flights and prices and guess where is the cheapest place in the country to take five kids on a summer vacation in August. It's Las Vegas. (laughs) So I'm I'm already working at at an ISP and uh, I'm, it's August and I don't even know somebody comes up to me and and here's okay I'm going to go out of town and and uh, whatever and so they were like more switched on than I'm or like are you going to DefCon and I'm like I don't know what DefCon is <laughs> so I do a little bit of research and I'm like okay uh, this is interesting and my family goes to Las Vegas in 1998 late July early August. It's 110 degrees. You know, there's really nothing for a 16-year-old kid to do. I can't gamble. I can't drink. Um, But I know that this conference is going on downtown. So I start, I, you know, I, I talk to my, my folks and they're like, yeah, whatever you can, you can cab to downtown. It seems safe enough. So I start taking a cab every day to go to DEFCON 6, (laughs) which, (laughs) um, and I show up the first day, like buy my pass, get in line. And it's, it's, it's cool. Um, and it's, you know, I was, I did feel confident enough to kind of participate. Like I did feel like I, I had kind of been through an incident with my ISP getting hacked and, and that type of stuff. But, <laughs> you know, DEFCON at that time is way different. It wasn't, you know, 30,000. It wasn't overwhelming like that. It was really, I don't know what, mm-hmm. 150 folding tables and everybody brought mostly their desktop PCs and kind it of was, set them up. For it these. was so small back then. It was, so, it was, it was one of those, it, it was the size of a con where you still met people. Right. It's yeah. not like, like, it's not like you go to a comic con now and there's just this, this throng of, of faces that you have to navigate through that you're, they're, they're obstacles. They're not people, they're obstacles. You got to get around. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it just like, it was on that borderline. It was intimidating, but not unapproachable. And mm-hmm. I started just kind of lingering around some of the Unix, you know, clusters. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people had probably Spark Station 5s on the back wall. <laughs> and I'm not sure, you know, you. I think you guys had a couple of, uh, I mean, it was like actually pretty small in terms of the laptops that were there now compared to like you go now. Oh, God, the, I, I, I was thinking about the lap, those lap, some of those laptops had floppy drives. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I mean for I mean, sure. If you think in terms of just like the tech, how much technology has changed since then? Uh, um, cell phones, laptops, um, the battery life on a laptop. Because you saw that was one of those cons where you saw people. There's one. There's one guy, um, uh, Radar. He mm-hmm. spent most of the con running from outlet to outlet because he was compiling his kernel and it took hours and, his, <laughs> and he didn't want his battery to die. <laughs> Which would have been like, yeah, two. You know, two two twenty four or something like that. Or yeah, know, I remember. Like, I remember seeing him. Like he, we got into an elevator, and he's like looking around, like, "Oh my god, there's power in here!" And he plugs his, <laughs> plugs his laptop in in the elevator. He just <laughs> so the thing that I I remember uh, specifically is I ended up kind of hovering around you and and maybe some of of the people that you already knew around there and just kind of talking, you know, Unix, and I think there was you know somebody who 
I, I think TCP dub wasn't installed on, uh, you know, a spark station. And I was able to like, well, probably, you know, it's going to come with Snoop. And they were like, whoa, you know, like that kind of was maybe my entrance way into, into the conversation. And I just, here's the point is, you know, you and I definitely different places in, in life. I think you were, um, you were probably, I mean, we'll get into your background and where you are with mm-hmm. where you were at in your career. And it sounds like you've had an interesting career so, since then, okay. but you took the time to like talk to me about, and you didn't, you know, I think it was pretty evident to you that I was, you know, you kind of asked me like what I was interested in and, you know, how I ended up there and what my story was. And and you asked me some questions about like working at the ISB and, and, you know, you and I started talking about computers and computer security and there wasn't this big gap of, you know, somebody in their, you know, early to mid twenties talking to a 16 year old kid that I, I imagine would be there today um, in a, in a super healthy. And, yeah. Cause, uh, cause I think in some respects you were a lot like I was, cause it, it, it at six, I mean, I was advanced. I was reading it at, at at three, you know. So I wasn't. I was an advanced student. Um, I was way ahead of uh, most of my contemporaries in a lot of respects. Um, but I'm ADD as hell too, so that kind of set me back a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like uh, talking to other people as people based on their experience and not like, you know, like, like go away kid. I don't want to talk to you. Like as long as there's a common interest, you can talk to people. And I think, um, and one thing that my dad taught me that's important is, is to speak to kids like they're adults because mm-hmm. they kind of are, you know, kids, kids aren't dumb. They're perceptive. They know things, they see things, they hear things, then they learn. So, um, well, that's one of the best things you can do is like, if you could just engage with somebody as a person, you know, that you're, you're halfway there to, to a decent friendship. And that's, that's such a core thing that I think a lot of people, especially now is, is missing in a lot of discourse. So I kind of talked about how I got there. What mm-hmm. about how you got there? How did you get so, into attending DEF CON and, and you yeah, know, what was, was your career at the time? That was my third DEF CON. Um, wow. uh, my first, my first, uh, DEF CON four was my first and I was working, um, at a, uh, at a little credit union in my hometown. And, uh, you know, I, I got the weekend off of work, um, uh, bounced up there with some other friends that were interested in computing, but we had no idea what we were in for the first time. Um, and I got like, after everything, it was like, it was like one of those eye opening experiences where you realize, Oh my God, the world's not flat. Um, <laughs> and the computing is what I wanted to, to, to be in. That was, uh, uh, my dad was a, a DOD contractor for most of his, most of his life. Oh. So I was like the technology and stuff that he exposed me to, like my, the, my first Commodore VIC 20 and then the Commodore 64 and just you know, teaching me how to program and stuff like that. And then he was big into radio and he knew a lot about telephony too. So I learned a bunch from him. And then after my parents divorced, I kind of had to find my own way, but I got my first job at that bank because I knew a lot about modems because I was monkeying around on BBSs after school. Oh, so okay. that's, that's where I really got my start. And then I had mute other friends that were into this. And then like some days like, Hey, do you know what a red box is? And I'm like, no, no, what is that? And then we started to look, we started getting into phones and stuff. And then, um, we, we, we monkey with radio too, but I mean, we had this cluster of nerds in my hometown and we, we, and we've all gone on to, to interesting careers. But, oh, that's exactly, you yeah. know, I mean, when you talk about, you know, just, and like we spent three hours together in our entire lives and you probably don't remember any of it, which is totally fair. That, it that was we, much more formative most experience. Cons, I mean, I've done so yeah. many conventions in it's, my life. They blend oh, together. They're, and they're, I, they're all blurred. Yeah. I'm the same way too. 
too. But that yeah. that's it's just yeah, hearing the same story, the same version of that, and especially shifting it back, probably I don't know, three or four years or five years or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, because I came in just at the tail end of the BBS side, and then you know this this world of Unix and internet kind of opened up to to me, and and the same story too. I'm still you know you you'll on the podcast everybody's kind of heard my five friends that went on in different directions, and some mm-hmm. of them are, are are in different places. So that's so yeah. Cool. So so I got home from defcon four and i'm like i can't i can't stay here <laughs> there's a whole big world out there i need to check out so uh-huh. um i i like I, I rallied what savings i had um i gave my boss notice um i talked to some friends i knew on irc i'm like hey i want to move to phoenix um i need a place and one of my buddies like yeah i got a room come 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 stay with me here's here's the rent and off i went so i got i moved up to phoenix and i got a job with an isp because that's that's where the magic was happening. That that was an interconnected company where I could learn a whole bunch of stuff. So like my knowledge of net, networking at that point was minimal, but I got that job because I knew modems. So this is back when um, dial-up ISP was it. You, mm-hmm. you got twenty eight eight was was high speed internet. Um, so I, I the, my first day on the job, I mean I'm standing in this a, a proper equipment room. Uh, which was only like three racks of computers, and then just this this entire wall of, uh, of sixty six blocks. Now I'm a '90s ISP nerd. So mm-hmm. was your were your terminal servers ISDN based, or were they still hardware like US Robotics racks? They were US US, US Robotics MP16s. Um, now that's not the ones where you would like. Essentially, they were external modems that were just slid into shelves, or <laughs> no, they were they were okay. um, they were they, like if you were to take 16, 16 of those modems, shuck the case, and then put them into a little rack assembly, um, like well, they were. I think they. I think the MP16s were actually like two boards with the modems built into them. Yeah, the power but, supply. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, it was um, not quite as bad as as a rack of of individual modems. But um, but then was, pots but yeah. line, backed up by pots. But yeah, pots lines, terminal okay. server. They, they're all connected to terminal servers. Um, God, gotcha. Well, uh, Livingston two, two something. Yeah, two easy. Two easy those things. Nice. And, and so that's where I got my start. Was um, I was cutting my teeth on Unix at the time. I'm. I, I got my first Linux laptop with my digital blasphemy background and I was cool. Um, I worked for the internet. It was yeah. great. So that's starting out there. I was learning, learning Unix. I cut my teeth on BSD instead of, uh, instead of Linux. Um, mm-hmm. and it's affected me, but I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of went the other way too. Cause I mean, it, it, uh, starting with Linux and, but the first time you have to build a firewall with IP change, you're like, there's gotta be a better way. So <laughs> the first time you then, lock yourself out of that firewall while you're doing it remotely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, for sure. but yeah, so I, I was working there and then I got into, I didn't go into security as much as I got into network monitoring. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe the only on it, because you were a big IRC guy, I wasn't mm-hmm. as much, but I think I was participating. I was very big in the MRTG scene at the time, and I think you were the first person on, on some network monitoring channel or something like that, which mm-hmm. I, I kind of associated, oh, I had met this guy before. I think you had started using like vector graphics to draw network monitoring stuff yeah. um, and um, getting away from... MRTG early on. I think that that was maybe some other thing I remember. So funny story, like MRTG is one of those things that you can mention now. And most people that are in the internet know what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. A guy named Toby Odeker wrote it for um, the university he he was at way back when. And it's still in use today. It's been, and a lot of people have scaled it to the point of lunacy uh, because it was designed to monitor two T1s worth of bandwidth. That's it. 
Right. Um, the RRD concept, like with just the one little data file that holds all your you know years of, of data for one particular um, link, it, it didn't scale well, but people and, have done it. <laughs> and RRD was actually the version two even, right? Like yeah. MRTG, right? So. Yeah. So MRTG, I yeah, was the original version. RRD came after. Right. Um, my boss, my hate for RRD is so strong. My like uh, my boss, I've worked with him for like what, 10, 15 years now. He's still like, if he wants to bring me out of Lurk on Slack, he will make a joke about how RRDs are the greatest thing ever invented. Oh, I guess. And I'll just come raging in like a fireball, like you stop that right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started out doing monitoring and then I got into, um, that got me into SNMP um, mm-hmm. and then um, SQL. I already knew some SQL from the previous job, but um I was building these 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 big MySQL databases, pulling in, uh, writing like writing my own SNMP collectors to monitor um, mm-hmm. a tier one backbone at the, at the time. So I was working at uh, at PrimeNet, which was a big dial up ISP. They got bought by Global gotcha. Center, who then got bought by Frontier, um, that so, then merged with Global Crossing. Um, hey, I I worked for Global Center for two weeks before Exodus bought it. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. So again, another kind of later, but yeah, yeah, I was, I was a network engineer. So I went to college and almost immediately dropped out because it was, you know, 1999 or 2000 mm-hmm. and they were going to pay me. Yeah. You know, the dot com was crazy. Yeah. So they, they hired me right, you know, right out of high school essentially. And mm-hmm. that was right at the tail end of the bubble burst. And we were supposed to open Chicago too. Uh, which was going to be a huge data center project in the R.O. Donnelly building next to the Chicago Convention Center. And Exodus came in and snatched it up because Exodus couldn't grow. They thought they couldn't grow their data. Now, my entire career there was helping to turn off <laughs> turn off data centers. <laughs> but but that's I worked for for. Yeah, for um, the, the on the hosting center side of Global uh, Center, where I guess Global Crossing was mostly the ISP and Global yeah, Center was, was kind of the data center business. Yeah. So I did I was doing monitoring for a while and then. And um, we like we were still like the whole PrimeNet thing. Like there was um, one of our they they had franchise pops basically. So little like you could you as an individual could own one of the pops in that city, and you got a cut of the profits uh, for maintaining it and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And one of the pop owners in Idaho. Um, he had started doing this thing with um, some resort out there where he dropped in a T1 for some big conference they had on on their weekends, a bunch of rich people making deals. And I was turning up his circuits because I was like the shift supervisor at the, at, at the time on swing shift. And he'd call in, in the evening to get that stuff done because it was you know a little less crazy. And I was working on his circuits so often that he's like, hey, come work for me. Um, because he'd worked out a deal with with Global Center where they they actually had a, a convention team, so I I left the knock. I was I was I was doing all right in there, but mm-hmm. I'm like, this sounds cool, and I took this job flying around the country, turning up T1s and DS3s for Comdex, um, and then Networld Interop. After that, I did that for about a year. Um, my my roommate loved it. I would leave for three weeks. I would come home, do laundry, pay bills, and leave. <laughs> um, but that's that was where I got I started to get into security. Uh, because we started dealing with different security events uh, on the convention floor where um, people were like vendors monkeying with each other or like in one case where we had we had a pair of DS3s uh, into the Moscone Center up in San Francisco. And in the middle of that show, um, this is uh, somebody decides uh, found the, the trade show network and is using it for a uh, as a Smurf attack reflector. Um, so they're just sending IC- ICMP directed broadcast it's, to our that that network and all the vendors' devices. Like, yeah, I'll respond to that. Okay, and- <laughs> so th- I have this thing, and maybe you heard it on the first episode. But when somebody mentions an old school network attack, I do my best to describe it. So okay. on on a subnet, 
one, the last, the highest address in any subnet is dedicated at, or is uh, specified as the broadcast uh, IP address, right? So that's a, an IP address that theoretically every host should listen to and respond to for traffic. Now, Eventually, somebody understood that this could be used as a reflector for ICMP. So if I send an ICMP echo request to a subnet out there um, and specify that it's the broadcast address of that subnet. For those who are class C, I might try to hit, if I was trying to hit the Google name server broadcast subnet address, I'd try to hit like 888.255 if it was a class C. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it would respond to me with 255, you know, however many hosts are live on that subnet, Maximum it'll send me the echo. Right there. One packet, you get 256 back. That's, yeah. that's a deal. And, and now we combine that with the idea that, well, I don't have to send the echo request for my source address. I can send it to somebody, <laughs> you know, I can set my source address to somebody I don't like, generate that echo request, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 255 ping requests are going to come back and over try to overwhelm that server. So it's an amplification vector based on a weakness, or not even a weakness, but the architecture of uh, ICMP echo requests combined with the broadcast uh, idea of subnetworks. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, I mean, the internet, the TCP IP is, it was designed around packets and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, we look back at, at, at those guys now, I'm like, man, you guys are naive, but um, it's, it is what it is. But so we have this, this, there's reflected attack going in like one of the, one of the, the engineers from, from the prime, from PrimeNet calls me and it's like, Hey, this is going on right now. Um, you guys need to go do something about this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, how bad is it? He's like, well, you're pushing out a full, um, 90 megabits, um, at some Which at the best. time, I mean, it would yeah. be, yeah, it was, know, it was, like it was, it was <laughs> yeah. It's, so yeah. the problem was, is that the, he couldn't get into the, it was so bad. He couldn't get into the router remotely. Um, these are like, I forget what model of Cisco's those were, but I mean, he couldn't get in. So he's like, I need you to reset that router right now. I'm like, it's in the yeah. middle of the show. He's like, I don't care. 2600 with two DS ones or, or I guess, no, you had yeah, significant DS3s. Yeah. yeah it was, two, it was, two DS3s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I'm like, oh, okay. I'm on my way. And I go sprinting from our little knock upstairs where we could see over the entire show floor, um, mm-hmm. downstairs, blew past the security guard. Like he didn't even have time to check my badge. He's like, Hey, and I'm just, I was gone. Someone's like, that's the phone guy. He's like, okay, fine. I'm like, I wasn't the phone guy, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I go booking in there and reset that router. Um, and then he, it comes back up, he gets back in and he, he fixes it. So you can't send directed broadcast over the link. Cause that was really the fix that yeah. like, like Cisco added. No, IP, direct no broadcast, IP direct direct. Yeah. yeah. But then, and then like five minutes later, I'm like, I know it's coming and I get the other call, which is, Hey, slash dots down. Because Slashdot had a T1 that came out of the Moscone Center that went to their website. <laughs> so whenever that network went down, Slashdot went down. <laughs> Which I, at the time, I mean, Slashdot was the the homepage for every geek it's, in America. Yeah, it's right? what Reddit is today. You know, I yeah, still, we, it's, I, it was I, a news prevalent. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I, like I will still pop into Slashdot every now and then just to see what's going on. And they're still it's viable. Sad, they're, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 like going to Fry's Electronics now. Um, but like I like it's what it's just like a running joke. Like my Slashdot user ID is four digits long. It's like nice. it's like when if I post on something, there's like a Leviathan coming out of the deep. Like, oh God, who's that? Um, but I, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I was go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to chime in. I it's this conference networking thing. I I was a, a volunteer to build the like I think it was a 2001 ACM SIGGRAPH 
I joined their network team as like basically the primary network engineer. So there's a lot of like systems mm-hmm. people and stuff, but people didn't know how to configure Cisco. So they like flew me out for two weeks to LA and, and it's, it's crazy today because all of these places I'm sure just have the networks integrated in the buildings, but they just had physical cable plants and we yeah. would layer our equipment. Like we had crates of equipment show up and yeah. I would just, we just build out these networks. So I don't think people necessarily understood like, yeah, a, for a big conference, a network engineer is going to fly in the week before, set it up, get it ready and then stay. And and really it's a great time because as long as the network's working, you're out. Yeah, like do, everybody's yeah. like treating you to, to yeah. like, you know, free I drink tickets. So much vendor stuff. swag. <laughs> like I didn't, yeah, I, I wasn't wearing my own clothes half the time. I was wearing like vendor t-shirts and stuff. I, um, it was a great two weeks of my life, and it sounds like you had that that experience. Yeah, that was that was my whole my whole gig. Like I was, oh, that's uh, awesome. I'd, I'd fly in. We'd fly in. We'd build the network. Um, we'd fly it for three days, tear it down in an afternoon, then f- go to the next city and yeah. get prepped for the next one. I was the I was just the the advanced guy because I had to get the circuits up first. If the circuits the didn't WAN come up, side of it, yeah, is, there was yeah. no show. Uh, we were we did uh, a network interop in Atlanta where our D, we had uh, a pair of DS threes in for that one too, and. Um, God, was that the same show? That was the the week of nine eleven. Um, oh, wow. So, like, we rolled in there, and we're we're doing just the initial the initial network build. Mm-hmm. Um, and the DS 3s got held up for some reason, and I as I that is the best escalation I've ever managed in my entire life. We woke their union president at two a.m. to get more people out to turn up the damn circuits because somebody they hadn't punched down the yeah the, because <laughs> because the, the work the work simply hadn't been completed and we were oh, turning wow, up yeah. the network the next day and I I, I mentioned that to uh, <clears throat> to one of my coworkers he's like wow you got I escalated like seven levels into Bell South and he's like wow that's almost into AT and T. So it was a zoo, but then the next day, you know, or the next morning we're, we're running through, um, initial, um, uh, vendor setup for a lot of people were just like stack of trouble tickets and everybody's going through and doing troubleshooting and stuff like that. And this was a year that they were starting to showcase like streaming video. So a couple of the vendors had, mm-hmm. um, like CNN is across the street. So they had like some people had piped in, um, network feeds from them and they're showing, uh, like showcasing over video over TCP IP and here's a feed from CNN. Oh, and, yeah. and so like we had these big screens all over the place and like we watched, we watched nine 11 happen. And then the, like people, like the shows, like, uh, like they're an hour at a show opening and nobody's there because everybody's at home glued to their TVs trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then right. they, they close, they, they close the show for the next three days and the airports were shut down and we're all stuck there. We drank, we drank a lot. Um, because it was just, it was just a rough week. Cause a lot of people was, were yeah. working in the, in the networking industry. A lot of people had ties to people in the DOD, um, or, um, cause like with the Pentagon hit or they knew people in New York there. So everybody's just kind of a little shell shocked. Um, mm-hmm. I spent the first four or five hours on the phone just trying to find my dad. Cause I knew he was supposed to be yeah. at the Pentagon that day. Cause you know, he, the DOD work that he did. So it was just, it was just a nutty day. And then you know, everything mm-hmm. kind of changed after that. So, um, that was that was my last trade show. Um, I went back to, um, I changed. I went to a, went to work for a startup out in San Jose. Um, okay. So I was bouncing around there, and then you know doing more, still doing monitoring stuff, but still you know, a little bit of security stuff. Um, I left that company. Um, the dot com crash hit. Um, I was unemployed for like a year. I was work. I was working as a webmaster at some indie record label in in Phoenix that. That was a different kind of zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I left there and I actually started doing full-time security work um, for 
one of the companies that handles a lot of the credit card processing for the porn industry. And if you want to ever get your, your, um, your feet wet in security, that's the industry you want to work in because it's like watching the tide come in. It's, it's under attack constantly. Um, so I, I spent three or four years doing that. Um, and then I left, uh, I left there and went, uh, got into CDN networking. So oh, big, okay. big networks, big data flows. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the network, the networks themselves aren't necessarily big, but the data flows are, you know, when, right. uh, what we did, we were hosting, we did all, like all the video for the Beijing Olympics, which was crazy. That was a two week long conference call. Um, after like the second day of war room, everybody was like, all right, just go home, dial in from home. Um, it'll be easier that way. And we all, we all did the, like so, what we're doing right now, but. So CDN for, for video. And even mm-hmm. now it's like, even if you like you, you may have a high speed network, right. But mm-hmm. the protocol optimization for latency, right? Like bandwidth right. delay product and, and tuning that stuff. I, I remember, you know, probably at the same time, we're trying to turn off all these networks and we're trying to use the the Exodus backbone to FTP, you know, gigs of site data and stuff like that. And like it took some some research and performance engineering to retool, you know, you got to set kernel parameters on, mm-hmm. on, on sun to increase shaping, the windowing, yeah. all, all that stuff. Because yeah, you have, maybe you have, you know, a uh, uh, 150 megabits worth of, of bandwidth to work with. And, you know, we, we kind of did some, some traffic shaping to make sure that the, 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 the backend uh, data moving didn't impact, you know, the, the, the quality of service for, for other routers, but yeah, you still had to optimize, right? And video that's never more present in quality service tuning and all that stuff for, for video, because everybody thinks, okay, well, you know, this quick time video requires, you know, 108 kilobit per second and it'll, it'll stream fuller or something like that at the time. And it's like, mm, not really. <laughs> You're going to drop a lot of frames when somebody tries to on the, in the other window, download Netscape. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic to, uh, to make a callback to that Smurf attack earlier, like the CDN setups, these days, like when you go and you issue that request for, for some data, the machine that actually gets the request is not the machine that responds to you. Um, because like the yep. way the, the directors work, um, that's a, a technique called, um, uh, uh uh, a fastest yeah. foot race, uh, DSR, like that, right? um, something, something. Oh, direct server return. Direct and then there's also return, fast, yeah. yep, fastest yeah. foot race in which, and also just, I mean, it's very similar to IP Anycast, right? If yeah. you, if you send a DNS request to yep. something that's hosted or back end, back ended by Akamai or something like that, that, that IP address is actually simultaneously, you know, equally BGP'd into a lot of different areas, right? And right. the BGP is going to bring you to your, hopefully your closest server, um, at least from a distance vector perspective and, and going to give you a, the, the response back. So a lot of, a lot of positive, if you think about Smurf attacks as being a negative way that somebody could abuse IP, some of those, those ideas and some of those whatever actually ended up helping us build ro- robust yeah, like the, the, like solutions the, later the on. The genius who, who realized that you could do that with, with ICMP probably put the, the idea in the back of the head like oh you can just send anything out and anything will respond for it and then any cast came along you know several years later as a as a yeah. as, as a complete mm-hmm. thing um yeah like packets and trust i mean the network's going to do what you tell it to do and sometimes you can tell it to do bad things <laughs> <laughs> for sure yep um, um 
Awesome. Well, we have just a little bit of time left. I'd, I'd like to hear, uh, maybe you can you can talk a little bit. I know you've been, uh, I, I don't know if photography is a full-time thing at this point for you, it's, but I've seen some of your, your photography and it's just, it's it's pretty inspiring. So maybe you could share a little bit about it. Um, you know. yeah. Photography is my happy place. It's, it's another thing I, I shared with my dad. He taught me how to shoot with his, uh, his DS or his SLR, film SLR when I was a kid. And I kind of set it down when I was chasing my career in tech. Um, and then about oh, 12, 13 years ago, I picked it back up. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's a side jam, but it's my happy place. You know, um, oh, cool. the first, the first big road trip I ever took, um, as a kid, um, he took me and my brother, and my mom on this, this, oh, God, we were on the road for like three, four weeks, but this huge loop through the Midwest, just hitting national park after park after park. And that's where I got my love of the great outdoors from. Awesome. And so now, you know, landscape photography is one of the things I really like to do in the past, the past year or so I've been doing a lot of astrophotography. So I've got, I've got, a couple of telescopes and mounts sitting here that are worth more than my car. Um, but, but they're, you know, it's a, it's the astrophotography is like the gulf of photography where you, like you're doing precision work and you've got to get it just right. And you're the only uh-huh. person that can yep. judge your work. But, um, you, you mentioned your dad was into radio and I'm a ham too. And one of the things that I've looked at getting into is very similar and like a lot of the same equipment shared mm-hmm. for uh, telescope mounts and for like radio satellite tracking and yeah. things like that, where you need the like exact azimuths and things like that. So. Um, yeah, actually I have one. I think both of the mounts I have sitting here would uh, can track fast enough to make, uh, might be able to watch a satellite. Um, but I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday because I was looking for a good, uh, broad frequency, um, um, antenna that I could slap mm-hmm. on one of those, um, to, for that kind of thing. Um, or just for, just for ham tuning in general. Um, I've got a hack one RF sitting around here somewhere I've been monkeying with. Plus I've got a couple of their RTL SDRs. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating hobby. Um, but are I you kinda, a ham as well? I'm not. Um, I did okay. a lot of tuning when I was a kid and I always kept putting off getting, getting licensed um but it's actually it's actually on my radar for this summer um yeah, I'm, it's I'm super. Got, you can get your general super yeah, easy. I actually encourage if people do want to learn more about software to find radio. One great resource is just to get your, your ham license as well. In terms of there's all the a, a lot of the data around propagation and antenna design, all those things will be super helpful to you. So yeah, and then no, with like stuff like Starlink coming online, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's cool. really piqued my interest back getting back into radio. Um, nice. So like these days, um, like I'm still doing like landscape. If I could get out on a weekend with my camera, I will do so. Like I pulled up stakes out of Phoenix and I and I. Started started moving around. Like I got this, I got the idea in my head. Like I can't see a place in two weeks on vacation. So instead like the places I want, I'm really interested in, I just moved there. Now um, I'm kind of mobile in that, that sense. Cool. I still have a lot of crap I got to get rid of to make moving easier, but like I'm in Washington now. I was in Vegas for a couple of years, um, LA for a few years before that. Um, so I will move someplace that's within like, if, if there's cool stuff within four or five hours that I can yep. get out to on a weekend, go it. camp. Um, and that's why I got into, into astrophotography because it gave me something else to do after I was done shooting yeah, mission, the day. you know you're you're on a mission and it just yeah. makes it makes sleeping in a van or whatever 10 times easier when you're on a yeah. mission <laughs> so. yeah and, and the telescope gives me something to do after the sun goes down instead of just sit there and drink so yeah nice <laughs> it works out pretty well but I, um um, still going down that route where I want to do more traveling but the pandemic kind of ruined everything so I, it's yep you take it in stride we're yep it feels like we're getting close so um bill thanks so much if people want to check out your photography what's the best way that they can do that um you can find my website at uh billn.net um i actually recently got my hands on billnash.com i had to find a dude for that but um i'm still working on getting that uh, rebuilding my whole whole website around that but billn.net um uh, you can find me on instagram at billn.net spelled out b-i-l-n 
D-O-T-N-E-T. Which is um, how I found you and you responded right? to me. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a blast. Um, awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a great blast from the, the past. And, and maybe uh, as, as we get through a few more of these uh, season two throwbacks, I, I might ping you again because it sounds like you, Absolutely. You've, got a, you've got more stories to oh, share. God, and yes. it's, I, I just he, hearing some, I mean, just for, for two people who barely interacted in life, it's so many of the same shapes, interests, passions. Um, it, it makes me think that there, I should do a little bit more of this being brave and kind of pinging people to hear their stories because, you know, I there's, just there's so, so many good ones that era produced from, so yeah. much crazy nonsense. Um, absolutely. Yeah. There, it was a good time. I would, I don't know if I would do it again, but it was a good time. <laughs> you don't know if you'd be on the podcast again? <laughs> no, no. I did the, the 90, the 90s.com boom. I don't think awesome. I would do it again, but, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And, um, yeah, looking forward yeah. to, uh, <laughs> yeah, let me know. Definitely. All right. Talk to you. Have a good Bye. Night. Dennis, what'd you yeah. think about the throwback with Bill? Uh, I really liked it. Um, and I know that you kind of touched on to in the, in the lead into it, but like, I, I guess I, <laughs> it wasn't until I listened to the throwback that I realized, you know, you're like, you've only spent two or three hours with Bill. Uh huh. And it says like such a juxtaposition between some of your other folks that you had included. So how did you remember Bill from that? Was it, it was just like a formative experience like that, that I was just so curious about when I heard that part. There was two parts that in my head I connected back. So I was also a very, we talk about our like graphing, um, like so systems and network Mm -hmm. performance graphing. So before I was into security as a, as, as more of a systems engineer and still today, one of my fascinations is, um, measuring performance in like long-term system performance and network performance. So we, there was at the time a pretty small, and in fact, like you can still, if you Google me, you'll notice that like one of the, like one of the first things that ever pops up is I was maybe the first person to think about graphing ping latency as a measure of network performance against like stable targets. So like Mm -hmm. if you measure your distance to, you know, Google over time, right. As, as just a indicator to say, Oh man, my, my pipes are getting a little, uh, uh, clogged here in terms of, of performance or bandwidth, right? So, um, so I had a presence in kind of the MRTG community and some network ops channels. And Bill was a huge IRC guy and also into network performance engineering and monitoring. And so not only did I meet him there, so I had that face and that experience, but I also remembered that thread right and it's it's kind of i mean also it's just his branding too of of first initial last name he's had that domain forever whatever that was his irc name somehow i I just thought bill bill n and then i you know it's pretty quickly you can you can find him so really lucky for me that but yeah if you're right if like you just that's one of those things like if you asked me right away who was that guy it would take it's not something i necessarily put on demand but if i you know when i was thinking about this or meditate or whatever this idea kind of popped in my head, I immediately acted on it and went and tried to find it. That's amazing. So <clears throat> the other thing was, this was a very early one, right? You said DEFCON 6. Yes. Uh, he yes. had been, he talks about going to DEFCONs 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. Like, so he was, he was super early uh, as a, as a DEFCON patron. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually like kind of, you know, the, this humble beginnings, I actually looked cause I was like, you know what? I would actually like to watch. It would have been like, yeah, it would have been 98, August of 1998. And I see that there is a, there's a DEFCON documentary that's out there. Have you watched it? It came out in 2013. 
I have not. I'm sure that those are kind of maybe some of the years that I wasn't paying too much attention. I will say here, here are the famous things that happened at that DEF CON. Just to recount for people. Mm-hmm. At DEF CON 6, the open SSH, one of the open SSH, the second to last remote root exploit for open SSH was used in that DEF CON 6 CTF. There was a Scandinavian CTF team. They used that bug to break into the router, lock everybody else out, and win the CTF that year. And Theo Durat, uh, OpenBSD and OpenSSH uh, chief maintainer, uh, fixed the bug on site. He was there. I met him. He signed my OpenBSD 2.8 CD. That's Nerd Kev for you 101. <laughs> I talked to him. I was just like, thanks. Like he's, you know. Um, and then, uh, so that happened. And then later on in the Merck episode, I also mentioned that DEFCON 6, there was a re- one of the last events was the Cult of the Dead Cow releasing and talking about back orifice, which oh, was like yeah. the remote okay. root exploit kit. Um, also, I recently read that Kevin Paulson's Kingpen book about Max, <laughs> not Max Butler. Um, so in that book, Kevin Paulson recalls that or some story that Max Butler shared about being kind of in the middle of his story, his journey and attending DEF CON 6 and seeing a talk by famed uh, lawyer Jennifer Granick, which I also saw that talk. So Jennifer Granick gave a talk on defending people from, um, you know, like excessive, uh, maybe abusive charges from, mm-hmm. you know, shit. So she gets, that's, she, um, she gave a great talk about that, and he was in that audience too. So those are those are like the DNA about uh, DEFCON six that make it an interesting moment in cybersecurity uh, history in general that I was a part of. Yeah, very cool. Well, I think I'm going to check out this documentary later. It sounds pretty cool. Um, just about <clears throat> the the birth of this conference. So uh, oh, and we have a uh, an upcoming guest in season two. We have an upcoming guest with a guy who was there for all of them. Well, so, so tease that. Yeah. And then a uh, final thought was just, you know, you were so hyped up about the photography that I had to check out, you know, some, something after listening to the throwback and uh, yeah, some very cool photos there. Also very interesting on his website too, like um, sort of, you know, importance of copyright and annoying things that he's had to deal with, which I actually found very interesting. Um, uh-huh. yep. So uh, yeah, it seems like a cool guy. Another interesting character. I love hearing about like how he will just, go up and move somewhere if he's interested in, 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 you know, experiencing yeah, a new place. He I posted that was a, amazing. He posted a pic and it seems like uh it was like a side shot and it seems like he's got a pretty rad like RV setup. So I, I love that, that nomad lifestyle, the idea of that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Really cool. So that was it. That's all I got for you. All right. Season two coming up next. We have no idea. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> But the ne- uh, during the next yeah, pandemic, TBD and uh, guys, thanks everyone, not just guys, guys, girls, moms, uh, dads, uh, kids. My nieces listen. My 11 year old niece is becoming quite a security enthusiast. I don't think that's true, uh, but they do listen <laughs> <laughs> to the entire thing. Or do they listen all the way through to these so. hilarious? <laughs> no, oh. I don't think so. But uh, you know, nobody I think is my listening sister to this makes part them right listen. <laughs> oh, every, this is prime time. 
This is I the mean, prime time. Somebody actually pointed out that on episode uh, five, I think, which is the JTS one, there's like five minutes of silence. And I was like so impressed to be like, wow. Whoa, at the very end. Silence at the very end, yeah. And he was our first binge listener as well. Ooh. So shout out to Dan. Thanks for the heads up. We'll get that trimmed out of the uh, RSS feed. Wow. So, but yeah, I, I just the individual uh, shout outs and we'll, we'll try to build some awareness of season one and uh, we'll start putting some pieces together, I think, for season two here, huh? Totally. I think that this was a, I'm super happy that you uh, took the lead on made this and made me do it. And, made made do it. Do it. <laughs> and uh, no, it's been a blast. Okay. So I, All I right. just want to give you kudos for being the mastermind. Talk- all right, so don't unsubscribe yet. Uh, we might have a couple of weeks of downtime, but we'll uh, we'll get back on it and get some content out uh, soon. All right, thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.